So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And by God, David, we're going to stay positive. <laughs> we're going to do our very best. If it kills uh, us. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, absolutely. You uh, know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm going straight into a headwind here. It takes a lot of focus and a lot of help and a lot of support to stay consistently positive uh, because it's, it really seems kind of like in this oppositional, you know, polarized environment we're in right now. There always seems to be somebody just ready to piss on my parade. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it, <laughs> you know, that's funny because uh, there are those lined up right now uh, who's sole purpose on this earth right now it is to piss on parades i believe so yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh you know you and i are talking in the shadow of a presidential election and probably not uh at this point uh the outcome is not yet officially clear seems to be uh clarifying but it's not been made officially clear and probably if the outcome had gone in the other direction it just would have been people pissing from the other side of the street right <laughs> yes yeah i think it okay, is yeah. a, a big yeah, pissing yeah. contest yeah yeah <laughs> uh, we had a samson retreat a big samson society retreat scheduled for last weekend which which went off despite everything else that that went to hell uh-huh uh, but one of the things that we said beforehand to the limited number of guys who we allowed to come, because we really restricted registration right? so that we could do you know, a lot of distancing, was let's make this a politics-free weekend. Yeah. We also took steps to make it COVID safe. But despite all our efforts, really, uh, in that direction, COVID came in and just T-boned the retreat. So our, our featured speaker, John Lynch, Flew in from Phoenix uh -huh. uh, on Thursday, and then went to hang with some buddies of his uh, at uh, you know a well-known you know uh, 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 band, and uh, mm -hmm. on Thursday, Thursday night, uh -huh. uh, Tom Mocha, the president of Samson House, drove him out to the conference center about an hour west of Nashville on on Friday, and about thirty minutes after they got there. John got a phone call from the road manager for this band, notifying him that one of the guys he'd hung with the night before. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Had, had gotten word that he had been exposed to somebody who tested positive. Oh, God. So at that point, so at that point, we didn't know what to do. We found a place that did rapid testing. Yeah. So, so Tom drove 
John over there, but but the technician said, look, if if your exposure happened yesterday, the test is worthless. And you got to have it's it's it doesn't mean that you um, have not been infected. Nor does we don't know. It does not mean that you could not possibly be uh, you know infectious. Uh, you know what's the word? So you couldn't pass it along. Oh. It's just the test test can't give us any reliable results. Oh man. So. So John Lynch had to go home, quarantine, and then, you know, Tom drove him home, drove him back to the airport. Uh, and then because Tom had spent all that time with him in the car, Tom couldn't come back right. to, to help lead the retreat. Right. Um, I had already determined that I was not going to be there for, for the first time ever. I was not going to be there for the weekend, but I was going to go up on Saturday for an hour mm-hmm. to do a workshop. And our good friend KK was going to do the same. She was going to actually present outdoors, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, to be, you know, super, super safe. Yeah. But when we got, so we got KK on a conference call and let her know what's going down. And it didn't take her you know, just a heartbeat to say, hell no. I'm not <laughs> well, right? y- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. And she said, I don't think Nate should go either. Uh, not if, not if his wife is as vulnerable as we know she is and he can't. So, so there it is 30 minutes to go. Now guys are converging from around the country for this weekend, 30 minutes before the start of the thing, the whole program is wrecked. Oh my gosh. What? Fortunately, fortunately, Aaron Porter was on site and that man has the light on his feet and he can innovate in a heartbeat. And Andy Gullihorn was there, the one workshop presenter who was still able to, to stay. Andy did a fabulous job. And Aaron and Andy between them reconfigured uh, reconfigured the weekend. And from, you know what? The, the disappointing thing to me is that there were some guys who said it was the best retreat ever. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean. Uh, tongue in cheek. No, it really was a bit of a blow to my ego. And here's the thing: I struggled all weekend, David. Talk about, uh, you know, a lesson in powerlessness. Yeah. And really being confronted with how I really feel when I have absolutely no control. Right. When I can't rescue, when I can't change, when I can't do anything. Um, that's a, you know, even after all these years in recovery. Um, you know, letting go and letting God is not an easy thing for me to do. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think sometimes in our recovery, we learn to mask that surrender thing. We learn to, you know, kind of shroud ourselves in clothes that look like surrender, (laughs) you know, and perform accordingly. And we learn the surrender jargon. So we kind of even convince ourselves of our bullshit about it. Yeah. Right. The little surrender shuffle. (laughs) Exactly. The wink and the nod that says I've turned it all over. But in the meantime, do not look behind the curtain. Exactly. (laughs) Don't move my cheese (laughs) under circumstances uh, yeah, yeah. because I will lose it and um, it, but you know let's do the surrender dance as long as things are kind of all lining up yeah I, I think we do but but you know I those those retreats I mean you and I have been a part of those enough to mm-hmm. know that they the guys kind of bring it with them you know we, we you can plan and and your group and your committee and your 
you know, right. planning right. team right. and all that. Yeah, yeah. But they kind of bring it with them. And yeah. um, it's it's kind of like a musical experience. It's like a concert. You know, the audience brings the concert. I, the, uh, the bands, you know, talk to me. the facilitator. Talk to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and because if the, if the audience isn't with you, I don't care if you're pulling – rabbits and raising the dead i mean it's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna be a good night and yeah, uh, yeah. but if the audience brings it and they're there and the anticipation is high and they yeah. are positive and they're just there to you know let go and just have yeah. be in the moment it's gonna be a great night and i think sure. maybe that's you know the a little bit what happens at the retreats i don't know uh, the one thing I was really, really grateful for was that the fellas did have spectacular weather for the weekend. Uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, autumn has really lingered here in Middle Tennessee. Um, so we're getting kind of this, you know, this Indian summer, you know, late into November now. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, deep, we're deep into November. You and I are talking now on the 12th of November. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's still in the afternoons, shirt sleeve weather out here if you're working in the yard. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, there was no rain. These guys had, you know, cloudless blue skies, you know, spectacular autumn foliage. And, you know, they went out and had, you know, in a safe environment, uh, you know, what they did, what, 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 uh, Aaron and Andy did was they paired the guys up as we often do in these, uh, and gave them instructions for the kind of, uh, first of all, what kind of personal work they were going to do about looking at their own story Mm -hmm. and then, sent them off to have conversations with each other. Oh, and wow. that, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll take care of your weekend right there. There <laughs> you go. Yeah. 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 And we're getting recovery. How much is recovery, David, about, first of all, kind of waking up to the reality of your own story, mm-hmm. um, getting enough reassurance and support around you that you don't have to run from it. Right. Right. People saying it's okay. You can get through this. You can face the reality of where you are, and then talking about it with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It is the the shared experience. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that is just being learning to let the guard down and the ego yeah. go, and um, and just say what's true. You know. Yeah. 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 I wanted to make recovery a solo project. You know, I wanted to get the (laughs) instruction book and go off on my own and fill it out. You know, give Uh me a workbook that I can fill out on my own. Give me, give me instructions to do the exercises alone. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons why it took me a while to find, uh, you know, begin to get my feet under me in terms of real sobriety because I was still trying to figure it out on my own and do it on my own without having to have look somebody else in the eye mm-hmm. and say the hard and difficult and shameful and embarrassing thing. Yeah. 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 Cause if I'm, as long as I'm by myself, I can, I can give myself a 10 point lead and maybe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, not believe I'm quite as desperate as you, but if I yeah. have to sit yeah. with you, I'm going to realize that I am you, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that was my, you know, my initial AA um, uh, thorn in my flesh was that I'm, but I'm not like those people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Well, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and you know what amazes me also is you know at at this point hundreds of conversations with hundreds of men. I always find, no matter how different we are, some point of convergence of similarity, sometimes eerie similarity, between my story and theirs. Yeah. Even yeah. if, you know, their sexual arousal template is different than mine, even though it seems like they've gone in an entirely different direction. Below the surface, it's amazing how not unique we are. Right. Uh, and that's another virtue of spending time in conversation with other people. It breaks the illusion of uniqueness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and allows us just to be, just to join the human race and, you know, drop this idea that we're somehow so special that nobody could ever understand or help us, mm-hmm. uh, gets us, you know, out of shame. And, but, it, it, you know, it's as awkward as it can be. It is so liberating, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. When you finally are able to say in front of people things you've never said, yeah. Um, that, you know, that you would have never given, um, that you would have excused and made excuses for it had you just stayed in your own head in your own little solo recovery project, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's where the freedom comes. It, yeah. It's in, in making it, saying it aloud and letting it be real. Yeah. Um, yeah. gotta name it to heal it. I will tell you this. Um, I've talked with a number of guys from the retreat uh, about the weekend. And one of the things that seems uh, most guys agree on is that the high point of the weekend, as great as the conversations were and the, you know, all that went on, uh, Andy Gullihorn, great singer songwriter. Oh yeah. From that. He did a concert on Saturday night and most of the guys had never heard Andy. Yeah. But Andy has a gift for uh, putting common experience, especially the addict's experience, mm-hmm. into, into words in, a way, in ways that will make you smile one minute and cry the next. Uh, kind of this jolting recognition as he says what you were thinking better than you could have ever said it yourself. Kind of right. illuminate you know, your feelings, right. That, that really is the power of music. And the, one of the great gifts that Andy brought to the weekend was just bringing his songs. Yeah. Yeah. Did he uh, do the uh, song about the little boy? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, we, we, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that ought to come with a warning label. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the song, the secret, we, you know, yes. Charlie. Oh, yes. When Charlie was a little boy, somebody handed his secret down. Um, we, you know, we have played that song uh, for now for 15 years at Samson retreats uh, very, very often. This is the first time Andy was ever did it live. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, for the guys. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, we but- have a guest co- coming up who knows a lot about uh, the healing power and the revelatory power of music and the way it can help us in recovery. Mm-hmm. Made a whole career and program uh, and uh, places to experience it out of it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful story. Listeners, stick with us. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. David will be back with Paul Pellinger in a moment on the Positive Sobriety. Well, welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast, and I am going to fly solo today. Nate has a a previous uh, engagement, but we have a great guest, and our guest today is Paul Pellinger, and he is the co-founder, chief uh, strategy officer for Recovery Unplugged, and they have multiple locations throughout the country, and uh, this is a music-based recovery program that I'm really excited to talk to Paul about because uh, being a musician, uh, a former musician, however I'm going to look at that, uh, living in the greater Nashville area, being a songwriter for many years of my life and making my living uh, as a musician, all the while juggling some uh, addiction and uh, alcoholism and uh, all that goes with that, I'm really excited uh, to have Paul with us and talk about about uh, how they have found a way to connect this particular um, uh, wonderful gift to all of us, music and creativity, with recovery. So, Paul, welcome to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Thanks, David, for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. Uh, Well, listen, um, we are um, in the business of usually letting our guests tell our listeners a little bit about it you know, themselves and their own story. And uh, like you and I were speaking briefly a moment ago, um, you know, we don't, most of us don't just wake up one day and decide we're going to work with um, the substance use disordered population or something, or that you had a bright idea that you'd work uh, bringing music into the rooms of recovery. So how, um, how in the world did you get into this space? Wow. So first of all, let me tell your listeners, I am not a musician. This is not music therapy. Okay. I realized early on um, that anyone I know in long-term recovery, their change appeared to happen in their soul, not their head. Mm-hmm. But as a clinician who's been in this field for since 1989, um, I was being taught to do a bunch of things that I thought were not the best way to, um, you know, handle addiction. So it, it occurred to me that the same assets that music has are the same assets I need as a clinician, as a provider, as a friend, as, as a recovering alcoholic addict. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, music helps lower anxiety. Mm-hmm. Music helps establish rapport. Music gives you energy. It changes your mood. It helps you retain things. Why is it that I don't remember what I had for breakfast? But if you put a song on right now, it could take me back to the color of my room when I was 10. Uh, <laughs> right? Right? And totally. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a, a comedian out of Boston. His name is Stephen Wright. He used to say, why is the alphabet in that order? Is it because of that song? And it occurred to me, yeah, that's exactly how I learned the ABCs, which are the building blocks to language for for us. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, so you know, to answer your question, you know, I grew up in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains, um, about ten miles away from the original Woodstock site. Mm-hmm. And so, I was exposed to music at a very early age. Again, I am not a musician. Ninety percent of our clients at Recovery Unplugged are not musicians. By the way, we have a location. Uh, probably minutes away from where you're uh, talking to me from in Brentwood, 
uh, right. and um, and and so when I would see my, um, my my parents owned a restaurant when I was growing up, and I remember at four years old them putting me on the table. Back then there was a jukebox in the restaurant, and they would put um, a song on and have me dance on the table to the customers. And I remember watching them all smile and clap. And I actually even remember the song, by the way. It's <laughs> and and um, and. Um, and then I would remember as the years rolled on, my parents would come home from a 12, 18 hour day, completely dead, tired and moody and nasty. And I could hear my father going, no whistling, you know, and like I just I just <laughs> kind of remember all that. But yet my mom would then put on the phonograph. For those of you who don't know what that is, <laughs> they would put on the record player um, and and to to like Dion and the Belmonts or, or, or somebody like that and immediately you know, uh, their mood would change and their energy level would change and they would be smiling and they would be dancing. And then as I entered my teenage years, I started hanging out on the original Woodstock site ground and, and it was very unconditional and there was mm. a lot of unity and there was this, and, and I'll admit back then hallucinogenics were involved. So I'm not trying <laughs> to portray like that. I was clean then. But I, I can say there was this unconditional love. And, and so it's not like, David, it's not like I said, and one day I'm going to use music to help combat addiction. I just knew there was a power that music had. I just knew that there was something. Why every religious service I've ever been to, whether it was my own faith or others, why do they use music in all of their services? Like, I am not that smart. I just figured out a way how to harness it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, I went through my struggles with my own addiction and alcoholism back in the 1980s. I was just telling somebody last night, I'm grateful I had the drug of choice that I did because it helped me hit a bottom really quick. Mm. And, 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 and when I... When I was um, isolated back then, David, where I had, uh, you know, burnt all the bridges as we do with our family and friends, music was like my only companion, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I just knew that there would be a way. I had no idea um, that I was going to be able to uh, cross paths with some pretty famous and legendary musicians who are now directly and indirectly a part of not only. Recovery Unplugged, um, Face the Music Foundation, which I am uh, uh, the co-founder and president of, and I'll talk about that a little later. Yeah. Um, but but that you know that they would be you know <laughs> I would be hanging out with like some of these people. It's crazy. Uh -huh. I can't even yeah. wrap my head around it. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. You know, I um I read a quote uh, once by the songwriter Jimmy Webb who. Um, wrote a lot of hits in the 60s, 70s, and 80, 80s. He uh, wrote Lineman for the County for Glenn Campbell and I think uh -huh. a, a bunch of bunch of hits in that era. I believe he wrote that one. And uh, he said, anybody that tells you that music isn't a drug isn't doing it right. That's right. And, um, you know, so we know it has an effect on the brain and we know it has a, an effect that it does all those things you mentioned. And so how did you become aware enough of your own relationship well, to music to bring it into um, into, into a place to incorporate yeah. it into the lives of other people that way. Well, you know, you're saying something more wise than you know in that 
a lot of times clients, people in general, not just clients or recovering addicts and alcoholics, have difficulty sharing what they think or they feel. Mm-hmm. And so what, am, what do we do? What do I do as a clinician? I'm taught to ask good open-ended questions or establish rapport through the psychosocial assessment or whatever, you know, <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, I guarantee you, you might not be able to put words to what you're thinking or feeling, but I guarantee you somebody's written a song about it. So for instance, let me give you an example. Um, I had a client um, uh, when I first opened up Recovery Unplugged in a group full of about 20 people saying, you know what, this is all fine and dandy, but I still feel lonely, even though I'm surrounded by all these people. And so I said to him, well, would it be fair to say that your prison is walking through this world all alone? And he goes, that's exactly how I feel. And I said, well, by the way, that's a lyric from a song written by Don Henley and Glenn Fry from the Eagles in 1972, right, called Desperado. By the Mm. way, in 20 minutes, which tells you that God was in that. I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying that. Um, (laughs) But there's definitely some higher power there. And would it be cool if I played that song? And so what I was able to do is I was able to play the song for him. And obviously the group was very, um, everybody was uh, crying, but more importantly, it helped re-anchor and reframe him to the concept that he's not alone. And so, by the way, brother, when you leave treatment, which eventually you will, whenever you feel lonely again, just hit play and it will help reframe that you are not alone. And that you better let somebody love you before it's too late, as the rest of the song goes. Right. So, so anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, is that that's the things that started occurring to me as I was in recovery myself. So what, what would often happen, David, is, is that, um, you know, I was taught a bunch of cliches. Which, by the way, I'm not knocking, right? I still use mm-hmm. them and I still apply them myself. Live mm-hmm. and let live, this too shall pass, you know, all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. now, right, or even over the past 15, 20, 30 years since I've been in recovery, I, instead of <laughs> telling people, let it go, you know, what I'll do is I'll send them a song. Mm-hmm. Tell them, just sit in your room quietly and if you don't feel better, after this song, then let me know because you probably, um, you know, aren't paying attention, but music Uh has that power and ability. So I thought to myself, wow, you know, even when people go to treatment, 90% of people are relapsing. And, and I was getting frustrated that we were just blaming, well, that's because his parents are enablers or he grew up in the Bronx or Saturn was aligned with Jupiter when he was born, whatever. The point I'm trying to make is, is that we have to take responsibility for our part as program teaches me. We take mm-hmm. our own responsibility. So instead of focusing on stuff I have no control over, let me figure out a way how to improve the chances of outcomes because people are dying. There have been more overdoses and deaths in the past nine years than the previous 20 combined since I've been right. doing this. Right. And so my thought, David, simply was to uh, Recovery Unplugged, Using Music as Medicine, um, uh, which is a book I wrote, by the way, called Music is Our Medicine, was right. born out of frustration mm-hmm. of, 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 not, of not being – it was already bad enough 
that addicts, alcoholics, the treatment centers were being discriminated against. We're, we're like the bastard children of the medical profession. So mm-hmm. why, why give them ammunition by increasing horrible outcomes? So my, my goal has always been, right, to change the stigma attached to addiction and alcoholism, um, expose the myths, as well as provide quality treatment for people, whether they have money or not. Right. Right. And I did want to, I appreciate you mentioned in the book, cause I did want to mention the book as well. Music is our medicine. And, um, in, in that you kind of chronicle, um, how, how music evolved for you and, 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 and really you, you make associations like you did earlier where the, you know, any tribe, um, has some kind of musical expression, you know, uh, it goes back to the very beginning of human experience. And so, you know, it's like we're genetically uh, designed to respond to it. And yet most people, you know, have been given the don't try this at home, leave this to the professionals approach to appreciating music. You know, uh, if you're not a musician, you feel like you can't benefit from uh, some of the things other than, oh, I, I just listen to it. But yet, that's a that can be a really profound experience and and yet for the people who make music as a person from my perspective when i was making music there's a there's a place that you go that's a i feel a spiritual place and i think listeners do too but as a as a person performing music you kind of crack the door and let that listener in for a minute into that most private place you have where you create and you communicate and all of that and i wonder if I wonder if that's part of the reason why, you know, musicians have this stereotype of, you know, always being addicts or, you know, whatever, because we do experience life on a different plane because we are delivering that experience to other people who also in turn can appreciate it. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud now. Again, David, you're saying something more wise than you know. When I was fortunate enough to meet and hang out with Steven Tyler, for instance. Mm-hmm. One of the most impactful things he said to me um, was, Paul, we were exposed to music when we were in our mother's womb through the heartbeat. So there's mm-hmm. no defense against it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, by the way, David, that there was all this science behind what I was doing. I just thought John and Paul were musical geniuses and divinely inspired. By the way, I still believe that. Right. But now now I know for sure, scientifically proven that in in, without getting psychobabble for your audience, that music pretty much communicates to the same pleasure centers of the brain that drugs and alcohol do. Mm -hmm. So in essence, what we're doing, we're providing a tool to make recovery more of a payoff than getting high. It releases the same endorphins. It increases serotonin levels. If, if it's been used in hospitals and cancer ward and Alzheimer's units for years, mm-hmm. it just functions on a different level. I'm reminded of a story of another famous musician who told me that his grandfather was in a Alzheimer's a, uh, assisted living facility for years, hadn't talked for six months. Mm-hmm. And one day what he did was he brought a little radio and started playing Cab Calloway, which was one of his favorite musicians from the 40s. There's that song, Hidey, 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 Ho, you know that song? Oh, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and he noticed all of a sudden he started tapping his right hand. 
To make a long story short, within six months after playing music for him that was familiar to him as a child when he was healthy, he was mm-hmm. talking. He was mm. talking again. So, wow. so there's there's power in this. And if harnessed correctly, whether you're an alcoholic or addict or not, it doesn't matter, especially in today's polarization and 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 stress and anxiety, whether it's from politics or COVID or just life on life's terms, we need some type of tool to help us cope. You know, I, I, I can say this, and I appreciate you letting me go on a little bit, but every once in a while, not only do I look for gauges of where I'm at in my own recovery, right? Mm-hmm. But I also look to see if what I'm saying is right. So every once in a while, I'll experiment. So the other, maybe about six months ago, I have a convertible. I pulled up to a red light. On the right-hand side, I saw a woman in a Prius who I think had a Hillary or Joe Biden bumper sticker. And on the left, I saw some guy in a big pickup truck and um, on the back of his cab, he um, had a thing that said, it said, kneel for the flag, MFR, right? And, and <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking, these guys are obviously from two ends of the different spectrum. So right. what I did was I figured, let me, let me try something here. So I turned on a song by James Brown and I cranked it up and I have a pretty good stereo system. Um, and it sounds just a minute. And it, uh, it was the song, I feel good. Uh-huh. Right? Immediately, the woman on the right started bopping her head. And the media, uh, and on the left, the guy looked at me strangely, rolled down his window, and then he started bopping his head. I backed up. They were both bopping their heads at each other, looking together and, and smiling. And I just drove off. So <laughs> there's proof right uh-huh. now. I have a thousand more stories like that, and I'm sure you do too. The reality yeah. is, is that it's figuring out a way how to remake, re- focus on what I would call recovery triggers. Everybody's talking about relapse triggers. That's mm-hmm. um, too much defense, man. We need to figure out a way how to make recovery more a payoff. And I was always taught a grateful addict will never use. Mm-hmm. Right. With gratitude is the cornerstone of your program. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, Paul, that the, um, the experiencing music together is so powerful as well. You know, I, the experience of, um, uh, like you mentioned earlier, you know, any faith system has a musical template of some kind, you know, um, yeah. And a rock concert, you can have some of the most spiritual moments uh, oh. at a at a Coldplay concert, you know. No, um, yeah. I, I mean, to just grab a band, but um, but you can, um, you know, you can people experiencing that together at the symphony, you know. And I think one of the one of the hardest things in um, this. Uh, pandemic era has been that you know here in Nashville the the symphony symphony has been kind of temporarily disbanded we've got a big beautiful performance hall the Skirmerhorn that is kind of just a giant jewelry box right now that has nothing going on in it really um, we've got uh, you know venues that used to be known for live music and there's nothing there and people are depressed and they're out of sorts and they can't go experience things with each other so even even though I can engage in something in my car or, uh, in my home. Um, I can't do it with other people very much, you know, so let's talk about that because that was one of the concerns that I have. I, like I mentioned to you before, I'm the co-founder and president of face the music foundation. 
Right. The whole goal with Face the Music Foundation, again, born out of frustration of getting of being sick and tired of people discriminating against addicts and alcoholics because they weren't educated. Um, as well as not being able to help you unless you have money or insurance. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So face the music in, in addition to helping prevent addiction and alcoholism in the first place through the, you know, schools and, and all the other public speaking that we do, by the way, we bring a musician with us every single time. We don't wow. just do a bullet point, just say no type of presentation. Okay? <laughs> right. But that didn't work right. for me when I was in school. So, yeah, that's, so, not, that's right. not worked for many people. <laughs> right. So, but what we did, as I alluded to before, because there are problems with unity right now with concerts, we had a whole series of concerts scheduled for, you know, for months and we had to cancel all of them. Um, and we've done countless of them all over the country pre-COVID. Instead of like playing a victim, we thought, what's the solution? So we found a dock on the Collins River where we had Jeffrey Steele perform a bunch of songs. Everyone who came there showed up in their own boats mm. and they were able to enjoy a concert where we were able to raise a lot of money in order to help a bunch of addicts and alcoholics and literally directly and indirectly save some lives. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the reality is, is that yes, I've been to my kids um, are 15 and 18 and they're into hip hop. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is, is I would go, all right, well, let's go. I want to see what this Travis Scott's all about. I want to see what Kanye and Drake and you know all these other artists that they're into. I'm gonna I'm open, man. Because when mm -hmm. I was a kid, my parents were like, "How could you listen to ACDC? Who is this? What's that?" You know. Mm -hmm. And and I and, and I remember thinking, I want to be open, so I go to the show with them, and it was crazy. There were people from every background, every age, you know, every culture, every creed, every nationality, and we were all jumping up and down together matter of fact it reminded me of like the old mosh pits from some uh, 90s nirvana type bands that i used to go see and, mm -hmm. and 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 maybe about a year ago i i uh i was fortunate enough to actually meet one of my favorite bands the rolling stones um because one of the members is uh just picked up uh, 10 years sober actually and um and when i was talking to him which by the way i could barely talk i mean it was just i'm a starstruck kind of guy anyway um, I remember thinking, wow, here's a group that's been on the road for 54 years. And while I was at the show, there were kids eight years old. There were people there 80 years old. And we were all jumping up and down together. We were all unified. I could name 20 more genres of concerts uh, that I've been to where it was the same thing. Right, right. Well, and your foundation um, with Face the Music, um, Face the Music Foundation, uh, you do some partnering, I think you mentioned to me, with Music Cares, which is the Grammy Association uh, nonprofit that also helps to take care of musicians in many, many ways, not just behavioral health, but in a number of ways. Uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say one of the biggest uh, misnomers about what we do is we cater to musicians, right? Mm -hmm. So it's portrayed, mm -hmm. by the way, I'm not a musician. I'm the one who came up with the idea. 
to use music <laughs> as a catalyst to engage the existing evidence-based models, or for some of your listeners, help the clients practice the principles that are behind the steps. It's just really that simple. Mm-hmm. Hey, so 90% of our clients are not musicians, right? Now, right. despite that, yes, we have relationships with Music Cares, the Sims Foundation, a whole bunch of um, foundations where what they'll do is, is when they have a client that is, meets the necessary clinical, medical, legal, financial criteria, they will uh, use us to help treat them. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really a win-win situation. I would describe what we're doing um, not as a treatment center, steps from the ocean in sunny Fort Lauderdale or in the live city musical capital of the world. We have locations in Austin, Nashville, Northern Virginia, um, and Southern Florida. Um, but it's more of a movement. Mm-hmm. This is about changing the game. This is about figuring out a way um, how to uh, educate the masses and the public on addiction is a disease that needs to be treated as such. It's a brain disorder. It's, it's a legitimate, it's not a moral issue. And, and so it longer, and, and by the way, we've come a long way. 20, 30 years ago when I was first involved in this, oh my goodness, I I couldn't even, you know, it it was a lot worse. But now that we have some of these famous and legendary musicians and people in general, you know, out there talking about their own recovery, um, you know, they're being used as influencers um, to to help a lot of people. And I'm, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Paul, I want to touch base on what somebody might experience if they were to um, check in to Recovery Unplugged. I mean, you guys are residential and you have detox and all of that. Um, Tell me what what I might anticipate experiencing as a as a stay. Great question. So, yeah, like you said, we have all levels of care. Mm-hmm. Uh, detox, residential, inpatient, outpatient, transitional housing, individual therapy, telemedicine, any of that stuff. So let me let me explain to you how, for those listeners who might not know, if you were to call me, David, and say, hey, I need help, what I would do, like every other treatment center, is I would do a pre-assessment on you. I would determine what's going on with you clinically, medically, legally, financially. In addition, here, let's play right now. I would say, David, um, there are, first of all, there are two things I've never heard since I've been doing this. One, I'm a cannibal and two, I hate music, right? <laughs> Everyone I know not only loves music, some more than others, but usually has a favorite song or at least a favorite artist and or genre. So let's uh-huh. say David, so I would ask you, David, Hey, um, by the way, what's your favorite genre of music? And how mm. would you answer, how would you answer that? Well, that's hard. Cause I'm, uh, I'm such a, um, diverse okay. person. Okay. Um, but, uh, I would say, uh, let's just say pop. Okay. So pop, is there a particular artist that comes to your mind when you say that? Um, I like, um, let's say Sam Smith, Sam Smith. Great. Is there a particular song that comes to mind when you think of Sam Smith? Uh, stay, stay with stay. me. Stay with me. Okay, great. So now I am armed with that information. You meet all the criteria. I then pick you up from the airport to bring you, or in your case, I pick you up from your house because we have a facility in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get into the vehicle, that song is playing in the vehicle. Uh, and, and if you're not half out of it, you go, oh, my God, this is my favorite song. Do you like Sam Smith? My driver will go, yeah. 
but I heard you did. So right away you feel heard versus being yelled at. Mm. Right away you rapport is established. So when you get to the facility, we're not dealing with the normal two-week adjustment period to the new environment, right? Right. So, so, so that's one tool that we used as a catalyst right off the bat. In, in, in most treatment centers in the morning, what will happen is, is they have a goals group where they have somebody read from a daily reflections book or a one day at a time book. And that's great. And I'm not knocking that. But what I've learned is music penetrates. So what we'll do is we'll have a musician who happens to be a clinician say, all right, guys, today we're going to talk about change. Since you brought up pop, I'll use this. Michael Jackson wrote a song called Man in the Mirror. Right. And one of the lyrics is, if you want to make a change, take a look at yourself and make that change. And what will happen is then she'll perform that song and then she'll go around to the group and ask them how they feel or what they might do that day to make a change. It's a lot more impactful. Um, two more things and then I'll shut up. Richie Stupa, who is my creative director of recovery, is really known because he replaced Joe Perry from Aerosmith when they got into a fight in the 80s. But he's much more than that. He's a Grammy singer songwriter, used to live in Nashville. Name an artist. He knows them. He's written with them. He's brilliant. He's also just picked up 32 years clean, by the way. Mm. He, um, he conducts a group called Feel Good Friday at our Fort Lauderdale location. We have them all over, too. And he's written a song, uh, an album called Enemy. Every single song is about recovery and addiction. As a matter of fact, the first song he, about, he wrote about recovery was a song called Amazing that Aerosmith, I think, won a Grammy with in 1993. So, so the, the point is, is we invite outside guests to come in and sit in on the group with the clients so they see what goes on. And so we're not just telling people, we're showing people. The last thing I'll say is when clients are discharged from most treatment facilities, people clap for them, they give them a coin, they portray that they've graduated. Again, not knocking that. That's very empowering. That's great. We don't do that. We give them musical prescriptions in the form of earbuds and MP3 player and our own app specifically wow. designed for their issues uh, and overall treatment plan. The best thing about that, David, is I might have to tell you when you leave a treatment center, stay away from people, ways, and things, hit your knees, go to meetings, take your meds, whatever. But I never have to say, and by the way, don't forget to play music. So it's something they already want to do, which is right. probably why our outcomes are four times better than the national average. Wow. Well, that's a big... Um that's that's quite a that's quite a leap to be able to make from the um you know the general averages that most treatment centers experience that's a that's a pretty yeah. big yeah uh, a significant uh this difference there um well uh, paul um before we get away and i want to remind our guests our, our our listeners today that our guest is paul pillinger and he's the co-founder of recovery unplugged he's the author of music is our medicine uh founder of the face the music foundation which uh, does all the great things he just uh spent some time telling us about how can people get in touch with you how can people um access recovery unplugged that might be interested in in uh, that being a good fit for where they where they want to go. 
So there's a bunch of different ways. Just remembering Recovery Unplugged, if you Google it, you'll be able to go to our landing page and be able to peruse. We have our own YouTube channel. You'll see some of the famous legendary musicians who are directly and indirectly a part of our movement. I can be easily contacted at paulp at recoveryunplugged.com, which I can obviously, you know, talk to you about any needs you might have, any potential collaboration you might be interested in, in, um, in Face the Music Foundation. This is really about helping people. This is really about saving lives and being the authority on how to do that. Mm. Yeah, that well said. That's that's so good. And uh, any of us that can identify with the power of music in our lives in those moments where, you know, only music could say what we were feeling, um, I think can relate to what you guys are trying to do. So um, I'm excited. I'm I'm going to have to get over and see your facility firsthand because you're really yeah. you really are um, not quite across the street, but less than a mile down the street. So oh I'm gonna, my goodness! Wow. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you definitely have to right there, almost peeking out my office window at you. So uh, well, but, you let uh, me know. You have my contact information, and I might not be able to meet you there, but I'll make sure a representative can meet you there. That would be great. Well, absolutely. And, and, and Paul, thank you again for being a part of the uh, program today and for um, sharing all this with our listeners. You know, like I said, coming at this uh, in Music City, um, oh, where, yeah, you know, we, we all put a high premium and know the value of uh, not just uh, music, but the arts and um, what that can really bring to people and the way of healing. Um, I, I think you'll have a lot of folks resonating with what you're saying. So, well, um, I wanted to personally thank you, David, and 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 make sure you thank Nathan for me too. Absolutely, you are probably whether you know it or not helping more people right now than you probably know. And I'm just grateful that I was even invited to participate in this because I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. It's needed, and you never know who life we might have just changed and or affected well i appreciate you saying so and and man we hope so we really do hope so so well paul thank you again and uh listeners don't go anywhere we will be right back on the positive sobriety podcast welcome back to the positive sobriety podcast and uh, Nate, I missed having you on that interview, but it was great to uh, talk to Paul and hear just um, how a, a non-musician uh, came to a place of discovering the power of music in recovery and his own story and in uh, how it was impacting the people that he was working with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that conversation. And and one of the things that underlines for me, David, is that there are many paths to healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't commit to one and, and uh, you know, and pursue it with everything we have. But at the same time, let's stay open, first of all, to other people's experience in recovery. Right. And then let's also stay open to any kind of ancillary help we might be able to receive. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 I, um, you know, I think it's so important because we talk so much about, um, trauma and, uh, repressed memory and all those things that we find, um, addiction rooted in and, and, and that it shares a lot of, you know, uh, roots in common with those, um, other experiences and, and man, nothing, nothing can take you back in time. Like a song, mm-hmm. you know, like Paul was saying, just the yeah. experience of, you know, I mean, as, as kind of frivolous as it is, you know, at Christmas time, if I hear the chipmunks Christmas song uh-huh. uh, playing, I'm five, six years old, all of a sudden wow. I can see my parents retro furniture that wasn't retro. Cause it was, <laughs> that was what it was then, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the big stereo cabinet where the album, the Alvin album, played, and yeah. the foil Christmas tree in the corner with the light that rotated and changed colors on the foil. You know, <laughs> we had all of that. It was like the '60s on stun. And, yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah. Because it because it was. But um, man, you know, you can just be transported, or you know, you can go through. Um, the grocery store and a song can come on that was playing when you um, got bad news or something. And um, man, it can take you to a place. And um, so I, I love the way Paul incorporated those realities into helping people get in touch with their recovery experience. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great program that, and uh, multiple cities. Now uh, we've got one here in Nashville, of course, not far from my office. And uh and uh, yeah, I, I hope people uh, investigate that. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Well, before we go, why don't you remind our listeners of uh, of our sponsor? Absolutely. We are sponsored by BetterHelp.com. And uh, BetterHelp.com slash Positive Sobriety will get you a 10% off on your initial visit and sign up. Um, BetterHelp is trained therapists, licensed therapists that are available to you online uh, for uh, a safe, discreet approach to online therapy. About 500,000 people right now are accessing this uh, service and availing themselves to the work that BetterHelp is doing. And uh, if you are um, someone that maybe, especially now that we're um, maybe even looking at quarantine again for uh, some of us, um, it would be a very safe and uh, great way to access some therapy and and get in, into the place where you're uh, dealing with uh, some of your stuckness, um, depression, anxiety, all of that. And if you uh, end up with a therapist that may not be your perfect match, uh, there is no problem and there are no hard feelings with you changing therapists uh, with BetterHelp. So um, go to betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, um, check it out, sign up and um, avail yourself to an opportunity to get uh, the help you need. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, as always, a reminder, we love to hear from listeners with any comments, any suggestions, uh, and you can reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, it's been another great week. We've got more lined up. You've been busy accessing <laughs> that extensive network of yours, David. We've, We've got, got a guest list. Kind of- it's oh, great. It's a great feeling. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. 
Uh, well, until next time, then, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 